Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Cy Wilmore. This is the second series of The Journey Podcast, where we're speaking to the writers and photographers who contributed to issue two of Journey magazine. And as such, I'm joined by William Fleeson, a journalist and writer based in Washington. Hi, Will. How are you doing? I'm fine, Cy. How are you? Doing very, very well, thank you. What's the, how are things at the moment weather-wise? It's been absolutely brutally hot here in the, in, in the UK. What about yourself? We had our heat wave about 10 days ago. Right now, mid-July, it's uh, bearable. Uh, yeah, thank you. Glad to hear it. Uh, well, I mean, we may as well get, get straight into it. Let's talk, let's talk journey. Let's talk travel writing. Let's start by, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, where and what you studied, and ultimately how you got into journalism and into travel writing. Sure. Thanks, Sai. So I guess um, kind of beginning at the beginning, I was born and raised in uh, Washington, D.C. I'm a proud Washingtonian. Uh, I have um, studied in various various uh, subjects in school. I was um, a music student as a bachelor's wow. student um, in, in university. Um, I, I eventually did two master's degrees, both uh, related to international relations, foreign affairs. Uh, those were in uh, in Paris, France, <clears throat> as well as back in Washington, D.C. Fantastic. Uh, so I... Um, have done a, sort of a, a various uh, mixed bag of, of writing. Uh, I've done reporting. I worked as an energy reporter uh, for some years uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, I have always been an avid traveler uh, by dint of my, my studies abroad and, and just oh, yeah, personal interests. Uh, also, my, my interest as a reader. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, some, some years ago, I wanted to try my hand at, at writing my own travel narratives, whether that was in a reporting vein or whether that was in a more, uh, more of a kind of personal narrative kind of approach. Sure. Um, so I've been able to, to do that to varying degrees in, in recent years, including with Journey. Um, 
given my my uh, piece on Southern Haiti, which was a revelation to me when I took that trip last year. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, so that's uh, those are a few details about me. I can I can uh, tell you more if I haven't told you too much. Uh, let's, the the music thing. I, I know that you had some time in Nashville as a musician, effectively. Let's dive into that because that's not sure, your sure. Your so background. so when I was sure. So when I was eighteen years old, I was. Uh, uh, fortunate to be bound for, for university, but I wanted to study music. And my, my big idea, my dream was to make it as a drummer, wow. uh, and, uh, join the next U2 and, and blow up huge and sell millions of albums and, and be a rock star. That's the dream, right? Yeah. So I, I started, um, it with, uh, kind of some, some guardrails on, if you like, I, I went to university, studied music. Uh, I was a drum set performance major. That was my actual course of study at wow. the, the music school that I attended. Um, and uh, suffice it to say, I did not make it as a drummer. I did not join the next U2. Uh, that's, that's okay. Um, I had a, had a great time in Nashville, and, and some of my friends have gone on to great success uh, with uh, recording contracts and touring schedules and, and uh, playing for major stars. Well, wow, uh, that was not my not my destiny, and that's that's uh, just fine. Um, right. Journey so was I, your destiny instead. I mean, that's that's a pretty great destiny. You know, me. All, all roads led to Journey. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I, I studied music. I finished my degree um, in in that time as a as a, a university student. I studied abroad in France. I did the typical junior year abroad, as we say in the states, sure. um, and and went to France. Chose France because I had studied French uh, previously in in secondary school. Uh, I have an older brother who studied in Germany. My parents were very supportive of him, and likewise uh, me. They said you should do you should do like your brother did and go to Europe. And, and so I chose France. And, was there for a year, uh, learned French, loved it, continued to study music. Um, and I loved it so much that after I had finished my my bachelor's degree, I had found a program uh, to study, uh, to keep studying as a master's student, this time in, in uh, foreign affairs and cultural affairs, uh, this time in Paris. Uh, so I went to Paris for a second year in France um, and uh, came home after after a year with a, with a master's in hand. Fantastic. And so I guess this... Is that dare I say that this is the beginning of the love uh, or the love for travel, right? You spent all that time in France. I was the same. I studied in France and that ultimately took me into the world of travel and travel journalism. Perhaps that's the same for you. You spent all the time at this point. It's still very much a, a, a political bent to your career. Is that right? Is that still very much a, a affairs, international affairs? And that's why you were out there. Uh, that That's that's broadly true. So the so I, when I was uh, the the first of the two years that I spent in France was I was a music student. The second I was uh, oh it was music a, in France. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the the first year was music. The second was not. Um, and so the second year I uh, joined a, a cultural studies program and I chose within that to design a thesis project that was more focused on French American relations. Uh, there was a lot to say. I, I focused on the the period. Um, uh, which included September 11th and the um, election of Barack Obama. So there was a, a very quite a low point between France and the U.S. in terms of uh, not getting along internationally, not cooperating internationally um, for reasons that many of us are familiar with. And so I that was the kind of turn, if you like, that was the, the connection was from music to a study abroad in France to a uh, return to France to a shift in my academic focus. Um, which included sort of political affairs, broadly speaking, international relations, um, and uh, was an experience where I was a student. I was studying in a foreign country, learning a new language uh, and studying kind of the world out there. And so that was a a big step forward in terms of my um, 
my development as a as a young adult, uh, as a as a person, because sort of spreading my wings, as we say, sure. uh, living abroad on my own, having to solve my own problems, all these things that you have to do, uh, often for the first time when you're when you're a uh, student abroad in a in a country that is not your own. Um, I would back up to say, in terms of my travel interest, uh, you know, I was fortunate to uh, have studied at various times outside my home country. Um, I will also credit my mother for really encouraging uh, me and the other kids to be open to the world. We did a trip that was really uh, kind of paradigm shifting for me when I was 12 years old. She took us on a six week grand tour of the UK. Wow. Um, and so we, uh, we, the kids had no idea what we were getting into. My mother had, had this grand scheme. <laughs> and so we visited the, the South of England. Uh, we, we went to Wales, we went to Scotland, we went to other parts of England. Uh, we stayed on a, on a houseboat, um, oh, wow. for a week and, and went uh, punting for real. Uh, it was, it was, we, was this, we bumped uh, into a couple of boats and got screamed at. And then we, when we responded with our American accents that made people even matter, um, <laughs> uh, we were, we were not appreciated in those moments. Uh, but that was really a, um, key, uh, kind of stepping stone toward, this idea of, of travel, you know, traveling as much as I could as, as an adult when I had the, the, um, the means and wherewithal to do so. Um, you know, and I was really, this, this example I hope shows that I was really brought up in a, in a family context to be open toward the world, to, to do travel, to commit time and resources toward travel because it's important. Um, and to be, to have a posture, uh, whether you're on the road or not, to be open to the world um, and then go engage with it um, as, as occasion may, uh, may arise. So, you know, I, I, I can point to my, my academic training, the times that as a young adult, when I was studying as a, as a foreign student in France. Uh, but I can also point to a, a much earlier time when really my, my mind was opened. I was encouraged to be open-minded, uh, and encouraged to, to act that out by going, uh, abroad in this case to the UK, in this, in this particular trip to, for six weeks, where we did a really, massive tour of the country and saw all kinds of different things and met different people so it sounds and like so, the, i was just going to say kind of this this trend well journey to, to you know for lack of a better word this journey for you realizing the importance of i guess as a six-year-old international relations this this is effectively what this was you know meeting people speaking to them understanding their way of life and maybe the the, the transition from let's say you you went to france as a musician and you came back as a as a political journalist or somebody who understood international affairs that was that was the end of the transition something that actually started a decade before is that fair that, that's that's fair to say uh, as far as that goes it really i was um by the time i came back from france early in the second time i was kind of a uh, full-blown adult you know sure. in ways that i was not uh in any any previous uh travel experience um, and so, yeah, it's fair to say that, that, that was sort of the, the, my sort of entrance into maturity as a, as a traveler, if you like, mm -hmm. um, as a young adult. And then I've, uh, in, in the, the intervening years, I have traveled as much as I can with increasingly sort of, um, uh, exotic, uh, targets and destinations. Uh, so that's, you know, you, it's, it's often the case, certainly from coming from the U S where you do, uh, your first trip abroad might be to, uh, maybe to Canada, maybe to Mexico, some, someplace that's a little closer to home. And then the, the bigger jump is to Europe. Uh, and then for those who, who like travel as much as I do, you'll continue to travel kind of beyond Europe, which has been my, my story as well, certainly through my, my twenties. Fantastic. So you, you've come back the, the second time you've come back from France. 
with a with a very very different mindset to to the reason you went out there the first time, and you're starting to be much more engaged in in politics, in current affairs, and, and the like. Uh, and so, is this a, this is the point that you moved to back to Washington? You say you're a proud Washingtonian. It's obviously a really important part of the world to be for somebody interested in in those kind of things, right? Yeah, and and it was so I came back to Washington in the um, the fall of two thousand nine, which was right. the the uh, sort of close to the bottom of the financial crisis. Um, I had a quite a time finding a job at that point um, as a as a young grad with um, more more confidence than experience. <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I think that the, the time abroad taught me when I would go to um, it taught me how, how important America is. And that sounds a little that might sound a little highfalutin. That might sound um, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I, no, I think I it's see what you mean. In, the, in the global scale. It is. It's an important place. Of course, it is. Yeah. And, and so this was constantly sort of projected to me when I would go to parties or I'd go to a, a dinner and they'd say, hey, you know, your president said this last week. And what do you think? And. Oftentimes, or sometimes, people would know more about American politics than I did, <laughs> and but then I was put on um, uh, put on put in a spotlight to to say something and to be uh, in, intelligible and to give them uh, you know to, to to hold up my end of an honest debate, and so that really pushed me to a hone my chops on what was happening globally and and the not just what America was doing but what what America does in the world and how it affects other countries and other other people. Um, and really, to be to be mindful of um, uh, attitudes and outlooks unlike my own, uh, and so people would come to me and say, "Well, this thing happened in the United States last week, um, and here's what we think." And I would say, "How did how did you possibly come to that interpretation?" <laughs> um, but with some discussion and with with uh, you know increased time being immersed in that foreign culture. Uh, it came to make some sense. I wouldn't necessarily come around to their point of view, uh, but it didn't come out of nowhere as it had first seemed and sounded when I was talking with them the first time. Um, so it was really a, uh, an enriching, uh, challenging, uh, expanding kind of experience that I was able to have serially on multiple occasions um, studying abroad uh, first as a, as a junior in, in university, then as a master's student, both in France and uh, otherwise in, in later experiences uh, elsewhere uh, in Europe and the world. So, fantastic. So you're effectively engaging in political discussion almost in an extracurricular basis. You're meeting people as an American, and I guess by default people expect you to have uh, experience on the matter or an opinion on the matter. And it was the f- fact that people were trying to engage you in a political discussion that meant this is, this is effectively what set you up for the next stage of your career and set you up into the world of political journalism and, and energy journalism. Is that true? That's right. And so in the, in that whole time frame was, <clears throat> was maybe a half a dozen years. And yeah. so there was this kind of expanding phenomenon that I described, uh, where you're challenged to think, uh, along lines that are unlike your own. Uh, sure. And so, you know, that, that, um, served me very well when in the, the, the job that I did at last find, as I mentioned in my, my job search in the middle of the, the great recession, yeah. uh, was at the, uh, at the French embassy in Washington, uh, in their press and communications office. And so I, I spoke English, I spoke French, I could write in French, I could answer emails and phone calls in French and do meetings in French. And so for them, I was like, uh, you know, I was a providential gift, you know, worth like, your oh, weight we in can, gold. Yeah. We, we can work with this guy. And, yeah. and so, and so I got a job there and, uh, I had kind of greased the skids toward that job by having studied politics in France 
uh, in a way that was kind of directly related to the interests of French diplomacy in Washington. So studying French-American relations um, was really music to their ears. And they said, okay, this, this guy is conscious of a lot of what we work on. Uh, we can, we can uh, you know, he, he can be useful in our, on our team. And so I did that job for about three and a half years, uh, later went back to graduate school for more training mm -hmm. on things like economics and, and statistics. Um, and that was at Georgetown University here in DC. So I'm a proud, uh, their, their mascot is the, the Hoya, which is a dog, it's a bulldog. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I'm a proud Hoya uh, from Georgetown. Uh, and that, so this trajectory of international thinking, international relations, the study of, of global affairs in real time uh, was continued and deepened uh, with this later experience as a master's student at, at Georgetown. Um, and that, uh, like I've been saying, really kind of helped continue to mature and uh, fertilize my interests in in the world out there, in global affairs, in going to these places to feel them kind of kind of firsthand. Um, and so uh, that is really, uh, you know, the, the getting into energy, which is what I focused on at Georgetown. Um, later, my first job out, out of Georgetown was still in Washington, which was uh, as an energy reporter. So covering uh, energy policy from Congress and elsewhere. Um, oh, interesting studying industrial development, studying big deals. And when they were, when they were uh, announced, we would, we would cover that. And so that was a furtherance, if you like, of this idea of global affairs, specifically with energy, which is inherently transnational. Of course. Um, we can, we can see the, the, the energy crisis unfolding in Europe right now as uh, exhibit a of that. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you can see this sort of, um, uh, evolutionary development in my my thinking about uh, global affairs, energy, uh, you know the the role of of uh, nations and places within that. And on a lighter note, um, you know when when all that gets a little too sort of heavy and depressing to think about, I would say, well, you know, <laughs> what about travel? What about my next vacation? Where can I go? That's uh, that's naturally interesting in light of my my work and and, and academic experience. Um, but where I can also learn something new and try good food and, and, you know, sort of experience the world, um, recreationally, if I can put it that way, of course. um, in a way that still hems to my interests, um, you know, in, in international relations in history in, in, uh, previous wars, et cetera. For me, these things are all part of a very large whole, uh, that I'm still trying to make sense of and probably will for the rest of my life. Aren't we all? Are we all? Fantastic. So it feels like, as you say, you're almost maybe a common escapism to angle all of this. You're doing the, the, the international affairs, you're doing the, the politics, the energy, and then there's an escapism element of, of travel, which for many people, I think that's exactly what travel is and probably always will be an element of escapism, new cultures, new people, new foods. Is this where the kind of a, a further transition happened and you started moving into what you might call more traditional travel writing or travel journalism? Um, yeah, that's, that's right. That's, it's about that, that same time. Uh, I had, um, let's see, and, and I guess I would, I would draw a connection, uh, between my impulse to, to play music and my impulse to, to write travel. Uh, both are very creative, creative, both are ways of engaging with a reality that are, are creative, that are escapist, which is, I think is a, is a, an appropriate word here. Um, and so, in, you know, in the same way that I was inclined to to consider seriously and pursue playing music for a living, I have also pursued uh, writing writing travel seriously. Uh, 
because it's a way to interpret and engage with what's around you. Uh, you know, you can you can travel. I, I consider travel an art form. Uh, you can sure. travel in ways that are that are highly uh, creative, that are interpretive uh, at an individual level. So you can go to you know, you can go to the United States, for example, and you can do the Great American Road Trip and cross. 20 states if you want to, and that's that's your American experience. Or you can go to New York City and focus on Manhattan uh, and, you know, within the space of a few square miles, uh, see the richness of New York City and never go anywhere else. And that, too, is an American experience. Absolutely. And so and you can apply that rubric to any any country that on the on the globe. You know, you can spin the globe and say, OK, we can do the same thing for the UK. We can do the same thing for China. We can do the same thing for South Africa of course. and on and on. Um, and so, you know, really, I, I think that there's a kind of intellectual um, process that has played out in my 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 adult life, uh, certainly so far, where um, I had this impulse to create, to interpret what's around me, to to try and make sense of um, what are what can be very confusing travel experiences. So, I think confusion is a is a uh, uh, an essential part of my my travel life. I think if I wasn't confused, I wouldn't be having as much fun. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And so I I tend to certainly in recent years when when my my tolerance for adventure is sort of um, you know it's sort of like a like a like a substance habit. It's like I, I can't get enough of of that <laughs> that that level of adventure. And the more adventure I can find, the the happier I tend to be. Um, but with that comes confusion, comes you know a lack of local language skills, uh, comes this idea of sort of throwing yourself into the deep end of these uh, of these countries and these places, and seeing how well you do, and seeing what you learn, and and seeing uh, kind of what you come back with. Um, writing for me always happens after a trip, and that's because I don't want to uh, come with any you know I want to come with as few preconceived notions as I can. I think to say that I would have none would be. Uh, dishonest. Yeah, sure. um, but I also um, keep a journal when I travel and I take notes on every everything I see, you know, they may or may not make sense together later. Uh, but it's only after I get home from the trip and have a, a proper sleep and a, and a shower and, and try to then, then later it. sit down with my notebook, um, try and draw connections, look up histories that I was only um, briefly um, exposed to while I was there. And then you can kind of dig in and, and take your time to to really learn what it is that your trip was. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that happens after the fact that happens through the process of writing. Um, and so for me, the the writing is really the 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 later part of of one given travel experience is that the trip may be over, but you're thinking about it may not be. Uh, and the the processing and the learning uh, and the impressions that you come away with are only really made clear for me uh, after the trip happens and after you've done some writing or, or you've stood up a kind of story to uh, make coherent some of these very incoherent things that you just went through. Uh, so that that's um, for me, the, the writing is, has become sort of an in, uh, inseparable part of the travel process. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think that's, well, that's exactly what travel writing is, you know, from, from the early days. Uh, people trying to make sense of new cultures, trying to under, uh, how does the, how does the uh, analogy go? You know, great stories never came out of somebody's comfort zone. And that's exactly what you're saying. You know, if you're too comfortable or if there's no confusion, then it's probably going to be quite a, a nice, happy, easy experience. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Lord knows people want to escape and, and have, you know, sunshine and great food, but kind of travel in, in this sense of the word is, you know, almost getting a little bit lost, as you say, a little bit confused. I've, I guess that's the, that's the, one of the rough angles between, uh, it, with your story uh, for Journey Magazine on Haiti. Is that right? Kind of making sense of, of a, a fantastically different country to our own. That's right. So I was in Haiti. I actually went to Haiti twice over the course of 2021. And uh, what I didn't know at the time and the, the story that I wrote for, for Journey, uh, where I was in Haiti in June of 2021, uh, I was there about three weeks before the president was assassinated in wow. his bed in the yeah. presidential palace. And that that investigation is uh, is ongoing. Yeah. Um, so it's a highly uh, volatile, violent um, and deeply strange country. Uh, Haiti is uh, francophone kind of mm -hmm. sort of, uh, but Creole is the language of the street. And given that it's the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, uh, the level of education on average is very low. And so Creole is the, is the language of everyday communication. Right. And I speak French, but you can't speak French with someone who dropped out of school when he was of course, 11 yeah. years old. Right. It's, it's, it's just, it doesn't work that way. And so it was simultaneously familiar because as I would hear people speaking, some of the words would stand out and they're exactly the same in French as in Haitian Creole, but the language and the, the sum total was completely different. And so I had to labor to communicate. I had to rely on other people who would speak either good French or English in some cases. Uh, I was also, you know, racially speaking, uh, I, I stood out to, to say the least in Haiti, uh, certainly in the way that I was traveling where I was, I was on the street, I was staying in budget accommodations. I was not um, sort of cloistered in a high-end hotel where, uh, everything is served up to you and you're around what few other white Western travelers are there too, is you kind of find them on these, on these, on these, you know, money tracks where they stay in the same hotels and eat in the same yeah, restaurants. Mm. I wanted to get out. Uh, I described in my story that I traveled overland from, from Port-au-Prince to Jacmel, which is the, the city on the Southern coast. Um, and I did it by motorbike, um, and then by a two day hike, uh, down wow. to the coast and then a final motorbike for about the last, uh, 10 miles or so into the city of Jacques Mel. So I was really close to the ground, literally and, and, and figuratively, uh, it was a sort of dirty fingernails kind of, kind of travel experience. Um, people are not sensitive to race in Haiti, the way that they are in the UK or in, or in the U S so oh, they would, they would call out, um, they would call out to me as a, you know, I would turn the corner and I would, I would come into the, you know, uh, into, into view of the people 
around the corner and they would say blanc which is the french word for white, <laughs> white which means yeah. hey 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 white man yeah um or or i could have possibly been dominican from the dominican republic across to on the other end of the island um and so they'd say blanco which means the same thing just in spanish spanish yeah. um and so that had never happened to me before you know someone comes up to you and says in your face blanc hey hey white <laughs> hey white man um and so that was sort of jarring at first and then kind of refreshing because i said you know i'm, I'm this is this is not like home you know this is this is a very different kind of feeling um but then i quickly realized through people's subsequent interactions that it was not meant in hostility it was not meant um to uh, put me on guard or try and intimidate me. Mm -hmm. They were more just surprised that I was there. Um, and they were especially surprised in light of the political backdrop, uh, which is that the country is in, is in shambles. There's no rule of law. There's a, a rash of kidnapping happening across the country where gangs that are in, in control of various neighborhoods and cities, um, their bread and butter is kidnapping people off the street and not necessarily people that, that could be wealthy, but people like teachers and bus drivers, anyone that can shake down for, a few hundred dollars mm -hmm. or call their families and, and, and demand extort a few thousand dollars uh, is fair game. And so that's uh, continues to happen in the country. Um, I was aware of that, uh, but I sort of shrugged that off. I, I don't know that may have been foolish in hindsight, but um, I was not deterred uh, against taking the trip or taking a second trip uh, to Haiti in quick succession over the course of last year. Yeah. Um, and I was rewarded really with the strangeness of the experience with people engaging me and saying, you know, it, it, in, in the same way that when I was at a dinner party in Paris and people say, oh, you're American. That's very unusual. You're the only American here. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. I got the same kind of um, sort of compulsive desire to communicate with the people that I encountered in Haiti. Uh, and they'd say, oh, you're you're here at a very uh, tumultuous time in our in our history. Uh, what what brings you here? What are you doing? What is your interest in Haiti, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, this isn't your first time, you know, and that would beget even more questions. And so it was a, a very strange travel experience. It was a very rich travel experience. It was um, visceral uh, in the sense that uh, everything is felt sort of with the, with the body as much as with the mind. So it's very hot. Um, the food is very spicy. Uh, the people are very, very uh, abrupt with you. You know, blah is, is sort of that, <laughs> that case in point, you know, in a yeah, single sure. word, that's, that's the Haitian attitude toward, toward people like me who, who travel and visit their country. Um, and so, you know, I'm still sort of making sense of, of my, my experience in Haiti. And uh, uh, I continue to write about it. You know, I wrote for, for journey. I've submitted other pieces elsewhere um, as a, as a kind of attempt uh, to process, um, you, you know, for myself and hopefully of interest to readers who had nothing to do with the trip or, you know, who are outside, who, who don't know me already, mm -hmm. um, to make sense of all that I saw and did in Haiti. When, I mean, that, you make a, a fascinating point about, you know, you come and you come around the corner and somebody says Blanc or Blanco, and they say, you know, you get, the conversation begins, why are you here? Why are you traveling? Why are you visiting this place? I mean, what did you tell those people? Because that's a fascinating, you know, why have you gone anywhere? What what was it about Haiti? What made you want to go back the second time particularly? Sure, sure. It's, a, it's an excellent question. And it was really kind of shaped by the uh, the global events of the day. So, so moving sure. from the global to the very local, uh, you know, 2021 was, was mid-COVID. 
uh, it was when the world was coming out of the initial kind of shock and, and confusion around what is this thing called COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sp- spring and summer, uh, I, I was in Haiti, like I said, twice in 2021. The first time was in January. The second time was in June. Uh, and so the first time was, you know, within 12 months of the, the kind of uh, hard bite of COVID in about March of 2020. And I was I had cabin fever. You know, Europe was <laughs> was was completely shut down, certainly to American travelers, where we had a very high rate of COVID in the U.S. And so I I kind of you know pulled up Google Maps and said, where can I go? Where, which which countries are open? Sure. And the Dominican Republic and likewise Haiti remained open throughout COVID. Uh, they they said we'll do anything except shut the country down because we depend on those tourist dollars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought, okay, well this is not that far from uh from the east coast of the u.s where i live i can i can you know pack my work computer and work remotely and nobody's going to know uh i can uh do a work and travel experience in one of the few countries that is viable as i work and that's actually open so off i go and so that was my initial um sort of why not attitude toward (laughs) toward visiting haiti the first trip i did both the dominican republic and haiti uh, I extended my trip to be able to cross the border, which I did uh, um, with a van as far as the border, and then and then I took a motorbike the last two hours to um, to the city of, of Cap Haitien, which is on the northern uh, the northern coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second trip, I I kind of um, wanted a second taste. I, I I had been to Haiti. I was looking to do another trip. I was still in this feeling of cabin fever, feeling like I had to get out of Dodge. I had to you know, not be working cooped up in my small DC apartment. For sure. Uh, and so I thought, well, why not go back? Uh, you know, it's, it's still open. It's still cheap. Uh, I'm interested. And in, and now I've done it once before. And, you know, this idea of confusion was mitigated somewhat by the, uh, on the second trip versus the first, because uh, I had had one previous experience in Haiti you know, for the, for the later trip. Mm-hmm. Uh but I was also, you know, my appetite for adventure, as I described, increased. And so I, I decided to do this hike through the mountains to, you know, from from uh, Port-au-Prince, which is sort of south central to the southern coast, uh, and decided to kind of bite off a little more the second time around. Um, so, you know, that that was those are really the reasons that I decided on Haiti. The country was open. It was in the middle of covid. I was sick of being at home. Um <laughs> you know, for, for all those reasons, it was, it's actually a fairly low bar. You know, I, I had the, the, the time and, and uh, ability to pack up and go. And so I did. That's, that's really the, the whole story. That's a good enough reason, right? There's somewhere that you want to see somewhere that you can get to. Why not go for it? Fantastic. Let's, let's move a little bit to a kind of into the future now, as it were, what trips, assignments, plans do you have for the next couple of months? Sure. So uh, the month of August, I'm going to spend in in Georgia, the wow. Republic of Georgia, sure. not, not the U.S. Not state the States, of Georgia, yeah. which is which is also exotic in its own ways. <laughs> um, so I'm going to Georgia to uh, a to um, to have a have a holiday, have a have a travel experience. Wow. B to uh, I'm going to do 30 days in a Russian language school. There's a Ukrainian company that runs a Russian language program, which has been displaced from uh, its headquarters in Kiev. Mm. for the war that's now that that now continues yes, um they have uh, relocated to georgia 
to the Black Sea uh, uh, city of Batumi. Um, and I've been in touch with them and my plans have been aborted going to, trying to go to Kiev to study language there. They said, well, we're now in Georgia. You should come to Georgia. So I said, okay, sure. Um, and so that is my, uh, that's where I'm going to be spending August. Um, uh, I also have never been to Georgia. So it's appealing for that uh, as a kind of new, new Vista bucket new, list kind of new, stuff, new opportunity. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's, it's bucket list. It's also uh, sort of spontaneous. There's a, again, this kind of why not, attitude yeah i'm noticing that um, quite a lot in your, in your words william yeah why not and, and so and so you know given my my interest in history and my 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 studies of international affairs you know russia is back in the news you know people talk about is this a new new cold war kind of uh environment sure. we're now living in uh, i think that's an open question uh yeah. but that is of keen interest to me to to learn and know more about um and so that's why i'm headed to what used to be the Soviet Union, I'm, I'm, I want to know more. I want to make sense of of some of the very confusing news items I've seen lately about the Ukraine war, about Russia more broadly, uh, and its its present and future. So, in the near the near future, before the summer's out, I'll be I'll be in Georgia, uh, soaking up uh, a Georgian experience and um, hopefully learning as much as I can on the way. Fantastic. Very, very kind of uh, true to form, it, I would say, Will, in terms of trying to make sense of things, particularly with a political angle, you know, with the war, trying to make sense of the world and, and digest it and explain it a little bit, partly to yourself and partly to your readers, I guess. I hope so. Fantastic. Thank you. Let's, uh, as we just uh, draw to a draw to a close here today, perhaps uh, we can learn a little bit more about where people can find you online. Let's talk Twitter, Facebook, website, what kind of publications are you likely to be writing for in the future? How can people stay in touch with your travels and your writings? Sure. I, I guess I'd first point people to my my portfolio site, which is at willfleason.com, uh, very, very simply, unimaginatively titled. Um, <laughs> and that's that's sort of a glorified um, list of links of stuff I've published, stuff I've, I've had out there in the world, uh, which is uh, only some of what I've written is is in front of uh, paywalls. And mm-hmm. so I try to share what I can share. Um, even though a lot of my old reporting is uh, protected and, uh, and is not um, cannot be found on Google. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I guess the other, I, I'm, I'm averse to, to most social media for me, Twitter and Facebook are uh, vehicles of depression and comparing <laughs> how much cooler my friends' lives seem to be than mine. At least the, the photos they choose to share and, and well, they Photoshop. Don't, they don't show the boring that. ones, right? That, uh, they don't show the that. boring ones. They don't, mm. they don't show the, uh, the, the unflattering light. Of course. Uh, only the best angles on Twitter and, and Facebook. <laughs> and so, uh, so I tend to avoid those. Uh, I guess the way to contact me directly, uh, if you want to, is through LinkedIn. I have a very, very uh, sort of uh, shiny, boring, professional LinkedIn profile uh, where I talk only about my energy, uh, mm-hmm. my energy reporting and analysis work. Um, but you know, I can be uh, contacted there. I, you know, a chat function in LinkedIn that's easy enough to to find me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And of course, if you want to read one very specific story from Williams, you can go to Journey Mag and order the latest issue. That's issue two is available. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, William. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Will. You've been listening to the Journey podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Cy Wilmore. Thanks for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.